Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people. And you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carl Matchett. How are you, sir? Stella and stunning. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. We picked up a win last night, away to West Ham United, a game you were in attendance for. Um, you obviously weren't then on Raw, but you were in the press conference, and you got to ask Jürgen about Curtis. So what, what was the question and what was the answer? Uh, so a little bit about um, what well, the question was basically that obviously he's been out for or not starting a league game for five months and then suddenly come in for five in a row. Um, we've seen Curtis here in this kind of position, this kind of run of form and selection before, but then there's always something that has got in the way, an injury and that, and it takes him ages to get back in. Uh, it seems to be an easy one for Klopp to leave out at times if other people are fit. So it was really about Jürgen's opinion of his form of late and what uh, now he needs to do, not just to stay in the team for the rest of this season, because Klopp's already spoken about uh, keeping the lineup as, as similar as possible while we're in a good run, but also for next year, if we're rebuilding, if we're bringing in new players, that kind of thing. Um, it was very happy with him, again, with the good performance last night uh, against West Ham. Very pleased with his defensive work of late as well. Uh, he mentioned that, you know, for pretty much anybody, but specifically talking about Jones, there's a ticket into the team, he said, if the defensive work rate is there. Uh, and obviously on the ball, there's never really been too much doubt about Jones anyway. Yeah, I think that's a fair question and a, and a fair answer. Um, I thought Curtis was, was very good again. 
last night. I thought along with Trent, he was the pick of the midfielders. Again, I thought Fabinho had a pretty decent game as well. But what Curtis is bringing to the team right now is actually a lot of ball winning. He's winning the ball high up, which is allowing us to pin teams in. I thought him and Cody did a really good job last night. Cody dropping out of the front line and Curtis pushing up towards the front line. And the two of them combining to win a lot of ball for us in West Ham's third and and allow us to sustain attacks and get extra phases of possession. And he's using the ball well. He's not, not having any poor decisions. I'd like to see him maybe be a little bit more aggressive when he gets the ball and maybe let fly with the odd shot here and there because we know he's got the ability and the technique. But uh, I was I have to say I was really impressed with his performance last night. I thought along with Trent and Cody, he was in our top three players. Yeah, I'd definitely say um, Trent and him as my top two as well, actually. That's who I picked last night. Um, I think, you know, there's a lot of attention on Trent and the position he's taken up and everything and therefore the knock on down that right flank for us. But I think the left is actually dovetailing really nicely as well. I mean, Jota is not one who we like to see stuck to the to the touchline. But last night he was moving into the centre forward area a lot. Jones was then filtering out to the left flank so that we did keep the width. And like you say, Gakpo was at times dropping back even into that sort of second attack and midfield line. So there was a nice alteration there, and then Jones was able to drift back inside if Robertson was going on the overlap. Always, always there to receive possession and keep the cycle on it. And I think he was very, very progressive with his passing as well mm. uh, in terms of you know trying to do little quick combination plays and get through West Ham's sort of lines of twos and threes around that left side of the uh, penalty box or their right. Um, and also just you know by numbers, Klopp uh, references Jones being first to the counter press last night, and and obviously being one of the the main points for Liverpool to win back possession high up field. But nobody made more tackles than Jones last night. Nobody created more shooting chances than Jones last night. So he really is impacting on, on and off the ball in both halves of the pitch. Yeah, five tackles last night, and he won the ball back twelve times overall, which is very very impressive. And if he can continue to do that, uh, there's absolutely no doubt that he can play uh, an important role next season. I thought the system still showed some flaws last night. Um, But I did like when, when Gakpo would drop and it would move from that three box three into a three, two, three, two. Henderson and Jones would push that bit wider, like you said. Uh, Jota would move central, Mo would move a bit more central and we were able to just sort of cast a net a, a little bit around West Ham and they struggled to get out which was which was really good Look, there's, there's one obvious issue um, in midfield at the moment and despite the fact that Fabinho was playing better I would still suggest that it is time to, to look for a replacement but you know Curtis is, is showing what, what he's capable of which is good Defensively, I thought Matip had a good game. Um, Virgil was a bit hit and miss for me. He had that one brilliant um, moment where he he saved a a certain goal from Antonio's toe. He won all of his headers, which was great. But I I know it was ruled offside, but I I didn't like the way he defended the Jared Bowen goal. 
I would have liked to seen him engage Bowen outside the box and allow Robertson to get round on the cover. I still think Robertson defensively is causing us problems. I think he's committing too far into the attack and it's leaving Virgil and Matip with, and, and Virgil and Ibu in previous games with just too much ground to cover. But this is the early days. Like The, the shape may alter slightly as new players arrive and different things might be tried when we have different players. But, you know, it's three wins in a row. It's three wins against teams we'd expect to beat in a normal season. But this season, they're the type of teams we have struggled against, especially in away games. So to go two Leeds and win, to come two, two West Ham and win, it is very promising. And hopefully now we've only got two two away games left in the league this season. Hopefully we can we can win both because it would at least improve mm. our away form, kind of ending the season. And maybe that's something we can then carry into next season. I think this um, win over West Ham was a better one than Leeds as well. I mean, I know it, it was a bigger scoreline for, for Leeds and more exciting goals and that kind of thing, but I think this was a much more difficult game, uh, a much more difficult defence to break down. Not that I think West Ham were sensational or anything, but they were organised. They you know, they kept their lines. They didn't really let us create that many chances. So I think this was a, a tougher win to get than, than against Leeds. Yeah, I agree. And I, th- I think you know we created a lot more open play chances last night than we did against Forest, for example. So I, I did think it took a step forward in that regard as well. Um, right, so moving on, uh, we have certainty now, Carl, that there will be uh, two of the teams that will be joining us in the Premier League next season. We don't yet know who's leaving us, but we know that Burnley are coming up and Sheffield United are coming up, and they're teams, obviously, that have been in the Premier League in recent years. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design T-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise, and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. But looking at the bottom of the table, last night we saw Nottingham Forest pick up a massive win over Brighton and they were obviously very unfortunate against us in that they were able to kind of get back on level pegging twice do you think could that defeat to us maybe spur Forest on to get the results they need now for the rest of the season and stay in the division um no uh, I, I do think that they could stay up but I don't think that any results down at the bottom for any of the sides is going to do anything at this point. I think they're all very, very inconsistent. There's a number of games they've got to play against each other still. Leicester with a, you know, the team this week who have two massive, massive games. They drew with Leeds and they've still got to play Everton. So Forest, I think, still have to go and play 
Southampton, is it? In the next couple of games, I think it's Southampton. I looked at it uh, when I was doing the piece at the bottom of the table, and they've, you know, obviously whoever wins that is going to be a massive one. I think that they are suddenly right back in it. Um, there's also just too little defensive consistency, I think, uh, for any single side to to pick up one win and think oh, that that that's going to spare us on now. Or, you know, like you say, a, a near near result might spur them on, but. I just don't think that any of them are consistent enough, not good yeah. enough defensively, not organised enough in terms of the, the shape of the team off the ball. I think that ultimately the ones who stay up out of that group of five are going to be the best ones attacking. That's what I think for this season. So if Forrest are going to stay up, it's going to be for that. It's because Gibbs White is suddenly in a, a really, really good moment in terms of his end product. He's been good in play this season, but hasn't really had in-the-box stuff going for him. But you know, a couple of goals now recently, Brennan Johnson and a miss penalty but I think he's been fairly steady for them across yeah. the board this season I don't think that's a, a massive issue if they can get the odd goal out of Taiwo Wani and still get a bit of input from the, the wing backs as well maybe Forrest will be alright because of that but I don't think like like I say one, one win over Brighton although like you say it was huge not just for the result but to end that horrible run that they'd been on as well since start of February since their last win so Maybe they'll be okay because of that, but then you only have to look at like Everton winning one nil two games in a row off corners, and suddenly, you know, the Forest could be back in. Problem for Everton is that they're rubbish away from home and don't really score any goals, and their supposed easier matches this season that they've got left are all away from home. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Forest have not the toughest run in. I mean, there's, there are some tough games there, but they go to Brentford next, and you just don't know what Brentford you'll get. It looks harder than it actually is, I think, at this point. Cause, like, Agreed. Looks, yeah, because it, it's Brentford, then Southampton at home. That's winnable. They could easily go to Chelsea and get something, because Chelsea are, are disgustingly bad. They'll likely lose at home to Arsenal. But Arsenal might have given up at that point. The title might be gone, and they might be completely deflated. And then they finish at Crystal Palace, who will be safe. Mm-hmm. And you just don't know. I, I think the team that the teams that stay up, the two of the five that stay up, will, will mostly stay up because of how bad the other three teams are. But I look at Everton and they've got a horrible run in. Like it really is a very, very tough run in for Everton. Um, Newcastle next, that's really tough. Then a trip to Leicester, which is a huge six-pointer. Then they go to Brighton. That'll be tough. Then they get City at home. Then they go to Wolves, who might just need a a point to stay up. And then it's Bournemouth on the final day of the season. And Bournemouth might find themselves that they need something from that game as well. Um, Leicester's is a bit more straightforward. They get Everton, a Fulham team on the beach, Win both of those and they should be safe because obviously they'd be taking three points from Everton as well. So if they win both of those, it should be enough. Their last three is is fairly tough. Although West Ham on the final day, they'll fancy beating. Uh, Leeds, Bournemouth next, massive game. And then it's really tough. They get City. They get Newcastle. They get West Ham. And they get Spurs. So... I have to say, at the moment, I'm kind of looking at Everton and Leeds joining Southampton in a in a trip to the um, to the Championship. I think Leeds and Everton have the hardest run-ins, and like you said, Everton's 
easier games are away from home and they are awful away from home. Yeah, really, really poor record away from home. Like even as I said in in, uh, in the relegation piece ahead of this week's games, like you bring in Deitch for a specific reason. It's for the organisation and the cohesion defensively and all that. Like up until the last game, which was one of the more dire nil nils I've had the misfortune of watching. Four games conceding far too many goals, really looking shaky at the back. Even Chelsea got a draw against them. That that speaks volumes, doesn't it? Yeah, they do. It does. Like I mean, they, they just they just look hopeless. Um, Which is odd because it doesn't look like they should be, but they're no. So, that's the thing. They're so open in key moments, and they have just. It's like the players are a little bit afflicted by what the fans have in like thinking you've got to score every time you've got the ball and have no patience and have no sense of measured approach to any part of any match. It's really weird watching Everton at the minute. Yeah. And it's almost it's almost like they've just been beaten down by the last couple of seasons. And I'd imagine spending a year of your life working under Frank Lampard, who is a glorified PE teacher, has got to be tough. Uh, moving attention to the top of the table, Carl, um, is it too early to declare the Premier League over? It wasn't too early, about four weeks ago when I said Man City had won it, so no. Yeah, I mean, we we both said this months ago, this is not... This is not a hindsight statement. We both said this months ago. The title race doesn't begin in January or February. It begins in late March going into April. And since the title race began, Arsenal have crumbled. Last night, they got their arses kicked at the Etihad. And 4-1 flattered Arsenal. That could have easily been six. Uh, Haaland missed two big chances. City were, were dominant. They were ruthless. De Bruyne looked inspired and now it's a two-point gap down from the eight-point gap and City have two games in hand and when we look at the run-ins City clearly have the easier run-in. City's league games will take them to Fulham they should win that they'll play West Ham at home they should win that they'll play Leeds at home they should win that they play Everton away they will win that they play Chelsea everybody wins that they play Brighton and Brentford in their last two. And if they've won the games leading up to those, they can afford to draw both of those or lose one and win the other, and they will be crowned league champions. And that's assuming Arsenal take maximum points. I don't fancy Arsenal to take maximum points because coming up for the Gunners, they've got Chelsea, so that's a win. Then they go to Newcastle, and I don't think they're coming home with three points. I don't think they'll beat Brighton. They'll beat Forest and Wolves in the last two, most likely. But I can see them dropping more points here. And I think City are going to win the league by seven to ten points. At least. I mean, they've taken three points out of the last 12 on offer. That's the start of their title race. Yeah. That's not much of one for me. Um, Like I said before, Liverpool played Arsenal, which was start of April. Arsenal were, I think eight points clear or something like that at the time. Mm. And I said they weren't. They had one game where they could not pick up points and that's it. As soon as they used that, it was all over because City were always going to beat them and City were always going to win their game in hand. So there was only ever a margin of one match between them. And as soon as they drew with Liverpool, that was gone as well. And since then, they've still not won a match. So yeah. this, this was never really a, a close race. And look, this doesn't detract from what we've said a thousand times before. Arsenal are much, much, much improved. 
Yeah. Arsenal are a lot better than they were. Arsenal have a whole bunch of players who are really good and can be title winners. But Arsenal also are not as good as the really, really good sides of recent years. And Arsenal have also still got a bunch of players who are not title winners. Yeah, I would agree with that. And, you know, the obvious ones to point out would be the likes of Granit Xhaka. But when I really dig into that team, <clears throat> do I trust Aaron Ramsdale? No, he's shit. No, I don't trust him at all. Do I trust Ben White? I don't think I do. I don't think I trust Gabriel, despite the fact I think Gabriel has been really good this season. I don't know if I trust Sinchenko in that team. It's different when he's at City and he's got players like De Bruyne and Bernardo Silva and Gundogan and Rodri and Ruben Diaz and Phil Foden and whoever else you want to list. It's different when you have those players creating that level of a team. You can carry one. I don't know if Arsenal can carry Zinchenko's defensive deficiencies. I think he's a good player, and I'd really like to see him in that role that Jack has had this season yeah. with a proper left-back, but I don't know that I, tr I trust that. Like For all of the, the blowing up about Arsenal and, and their defence and how good everybody's been this season... They've only conceded one goal less than us. And I think we would acknowledge that our defence has been atrocious this season by their own standards. Yeah, I mean, I agree, actually. Zinchenko in the in the Xhaka role could be really interesting. Um, I think that a few of them, like, you know, a Ben White, let's say, I think he's perfectly fine for them to have if the rest of the components of the team are really good. That's, that's okay. You, you need some like pretty steady players who are not really going to cost you results and all that kind of thing. But they've got a few too many who are maybe at that level or maybe haven't progressed to the very, very good level yet. And then the bigger problem is, as I said, they've, they've been able to play their first choice team pretty much all season long up until now, up until the last few weeks. Yeah, in Ketia, And how leggy do those players look now? Oh, yeah, yeah, completely. Like they, Arsenal have about 14 players of, of reasonable ability level. So once you're now looking at an extended run for Rob Holding, once you're now not got complete organisation and partnerships in place ahead of Aaron Ramsdale, once you're looking, you know, Eddie Nketiah, I think, did pretty well when he was taking the place of um, Gabriel Jesus while he was injured. Mm. But again, you're looking at a relatively small period of time there. If you're suddenly looking at him to do things game after game all season long, you are going to come up a little bit more short. So like I say, it's not the, it's not a, big massive deal because Arsenal have still taken big strides this year and they've absolutely maximised the falling off of everybody else to their own benefit so I, I don't like blame Arsenal or think they've been terrible or think they've choked on nothing like that anyone who says it is not really paying attention to what elite football is yeah but it's funny to say though it, I mean it, it's it is, funny it is to laugh at them because they laughed at us they claimed we choked even though we finished one point off top Tuck City to the very maximum both years. It's, I mean, it's it's nice to throw it back when it was thrown at us. But yeah, I mean, look. Arsenal haven't been in the Champions League for nearly a decade. They don't have a clue yeah. what the is, let alone being in the title race. So this That's was the, the thing. thing. Seven years. I didn't realise it had been seven years without Champions League football for them. Yeah. And we are now 20 years since they won the, their last title. 20 seasons. The last title they won was 03 04. So next season will be the 20th season since that if i'm not mistaken so um it, it's crazy how quick that kind of pulls up on you because 
when they went unbeaten that season, Carl, and you're you're old enough to rem- remember that season well, like I am. If someone had said to you, "These won't win another title for twenty years," you would have thought they were out of their minds. You might have thought, "Okay, with Mourinho coming in and Chelsea having all the money, maybe they'll only win maybe one more in this decade." But you never would have thought that that was the end of it. That Wenger would leave. 13 years later or 12 years later, whatever it was, not having won another title. And now, 20 years on, like, I wouldn't fancy them to win the league next year. Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa. He does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. No, I mean, like the, I think this was an important step for Arsenal to return to the Champions League, let's say, but actually be a decent side, a, a more cohesive side, have a plan of how they're going to progress. All of this is really, really important for Arsenal. But it's a long time for a club as as big and as historic as that to not win the title. We know that as better mm. than probably anybody at all. And it, it will be a big thing when they eventually do it, whether that's next season or post-Guardiola and Klopp or whenever it comes. Arsenal fans will realise, obviously, the longer it goes on, just what it was like for us trying to catch up and trying to keep up and not having the finances that others do. It's a different type of not having the finances now. You know, with United, it was commercial money we didn't have. With now, it's Man City's state money, for example, that they don't have. And it will get more difficult. As I said in the podcast last week, next season, for example, will be really, really difficult for everybody to get into the Champions League. There's going to be at least two clubs more than there are spaces who think we must be in the top four. So it's going to be really, really difficult. And if Arsenal are going to let's say, follow the plan that they've got at the minute, but try to upgrade in a couple of key areas, it only takes one of them getting wrong and suddenly they might be a little step backwards or not yeah. take much of a step forward as they need to to stay in the top three, four. Well, well if we look at their recruitment, they've been incredibly lucky with some of the recruitment in the last two windows because in the summer, their top transfer target for the number nine was not Gabriel Jesus. It was Richarlison. And we see what's happened with him at Spurs. And that's not a marker of what would have happened at Arsenal, but he has had a multiple injuries. So if they'd gone 60 million on him rather than the 45, 50 they spent on Jesus, they might be worse off. In January, they almost went and spent 80 million on Mikhailo Mudrik. And he, his struggles are more to do with adapting to the Premier League than anything else. But if they brought him in, that would significantly reduce their budget for the summer transfer window. I wouldn't imagine if they'd spent 80 million on him 
after bringing in Declan Rice in the summer, I wouldn't imagine there'd have been a whole lot left because these are not owners that will just continue to recklessly spend. They've spent a lot to get back into the Champions League and I wouldn't be surprised if there's some belt tightening that goes on over the next year or two. I think they'll go big on Rice and maybe maybe bring in some two or three more squad additions, but because because they'll you know they'll obviously say that their depth hasn't been good enough, but I think they've actually been quite fortunate that certain deals that they wanted to do didn't work out for them. Um, I don't think they're 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 on the right path with Edu at all. But the other question I would ask is, if Gabriel Jesus is your primary number nine and your primary source of striker goals, can you win the title now? Martinelli's got 15 league goals, Saka's got 13, and that's really, really good. But is Jesus enough of a goal threat? Because let's like they're looking at the Liverpool model and saying, okay, well, Salah and Mane were the goal scorers and Firmino wasn't. Martinelli is scoring at about a Mane kind of rate, but Saka's not scoring at a Salah rate. And that requires more from your number nine. And I, I know he missed some games, but can he score enough as a nine to win you the title? Because Pep didn't use him as a nine when it came down to it. He stuck him out wide. Um, I think, yes, because he's facilitator as much as scorer. And he does let, you know, the likes. And he's been, to be clear, he's been brilliant this season. Yeah, I, I do think he's been very good. Um. I think yes, as long as the other components in that line of three behind him are, are very, very good. Like if you expect, let's say Martinelli might take another little step forward next year. Next year, it might not be a you know twenty goals kind of step forward in, in league terms, but if he can get know, a dozen to fifteen, something like that. I think if Arsenal, the way they play and the way they get bodies in the box, if they have let's say four players who get around that fifteen goals, I think that benefits them more than. Mm replacing Jesus with someone a bit more single-minded who will get the 2025. I do think that. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I would wonder, can Odegaard repeat this goal-scoring season? Well, he played a lot higher up in the, in the first, let's say, third or half of the season than mm. he has been of late because he's been much more third midfielder than... Third than number 10. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So maybe not all the way through, but I mean... I, I think he creates so much that I don't think it matters too much if he's on the end of it. I do still think he'll get like the six to eight or something like that, even if he plays deep central all the time. But it's more the others, I think. People like Vieira, like, they've got basically nothing out of Fabio Vieira this season. No. Leandro Trossard will obviously have a, a bit of a bigger role to play, you would imagine, across the course of an entire campaign. And then it's the ones after that. So I don't think it's a big issue if Odegaard drops off let's say 40% of his goals, as long as you're then getting 40% more from the people who come in. Let's say Nketiah or another forward, uh, Trossard across the whole season, somebody else who is going to be able to back up uh, Saka and whoever else is sort of playing across that attacking line. Because next year, what Arsenal won't be able to do is what they have done for the last few years, change everybody for crappy Europa ties, mm. League Cup ties, all the rest of it. If you're in the Champions League, you have to put your full team out for that game and your full team out at the weekend. And they won't yeah. be able to do that with 14 players. No, no, they won't. And that's going to be the big test of them. 
So Arsenal will be in the Champions League next season. And, and look, at the start of the season, if you'd given them that, they would have taken it. So while they will be very disappointed, their fans especially, to not have, you know, from that position of strength, to not have gone on and won the league, the bottom line is they they've achieved what they set out to do. They're back in the Champions League. Someone who looks unlikely to be in the Champions League is this weekend's opponents for Liverpool, Tottenham Hotspur, who are now on their third manager of the year. Uh, Antonio Conte was sacked on the 26th of March with the team sitting in fourth place, replaced by Christian Stellini, who lasted a a month uh, and was sacked off the back of a 6-1 defeat away to Newcastle, where they were 5-0 down in 21 minutes. A game after which the players agreed that they would cover the costs of refunding tickets and travel for Spurs fans. And now Ryan Mason takes over with Spurs sitting in seventh place. Now, it is obviously worth pointing out that Tottenham have a game to play before they come to play Liverpool. They take on Manchester United today. United haven't been great away from home, but Spurs haven't been great anywhere. And a win, I suppose, would set Spurs back on a, a more confident track. But if they get beaten at home by United, they, they might come to Liverpool a, a dribbling mess. And my hope would be that we could do to them what Newcastle did to them. Yeah, it's a bit odd because, you know, from a Liverpool perspective... Not that I want to, you know, get people's hopes up again or anything like that, but we are up to sixth now, uh, which is distinctly better than ninth, where we spent quite a bit of this season, unfortunately. We're six points off fourth, right? But we've played two games more than United when we record this because United played tonight against Spurs. So from a Liverpool perspective, it's better if Spurs actually sort of wake up from this terrible, terrible slumber and do something tonight against Man United, but then revert to being utterly woeful when they're away from home at the weekend. Um, it's not very often that football works out exactly the way you want it to like that so I think the best that could probably be hoped for is that they just try to be a bit more resilient and maybe take a point or something like that against United rather than you know try and be a very good footballing side attack minded side who go all out or whatever and try to, to beat United in response does that make it a more difficult proposition for Liverpool at the weekend Probably yes, but again, on home soil, you'd still fancy Liverpool this season anyway. We've played better teams than Spurs and won, or played against Arsenal and should have won recently. Mm. Uh, we are, what, five unbeaten in a row now, three wins in a row. So you'd like to think we'll be confident and good enough to win that game anyway, regardless of what they do. But it would be helpful for top four hopes, if there are still some left in some quarters, if they could take a result against United. It would. It would for certain. Um, United do have a, a pretty favourable run-in across the rest of the season, but you, you just never know. Like They've got a lot of injuries. We're going to see, I think, a lot more Harry Maguire between now and the end of the season, and uh, that's a positive for all opposition teams. Uh, we will be aiming for our fourth league win in a row which would be the second time this season we'd have achieved that. And funnily enough, the last time we achieved that, it started with a 2-1 win away to Spurs. So hopefully we can kind of cap this four-game run with a, a 
win at home before we get into our last five games, which four of them are very favourable to us. So we are in a position where if we could run the slate and win, say, five and draw one of the last six, it will at least put pressure on the teams currently sitting in the Champions League places. That would give us 69 points for the season, I think. Yeah, 69 points for the season, which would mean Newcastle and United have to pick up at least 10. Newcastle, you'd fancy to do it. United should do it, but again, they, they've been really weird this season. They've had spells where they've looked good, largely because Rashford and Bruno have carried them. They've had spells where they look absolutely dreadful. And when Harry Maguire plays, they do tend to be dreadful. So, yeah, United could be the one that, that do slip up. I, I've just made my peace with the fact that we're going to finish fifth. Right now, I, I think it ends City, Arsenal, Newcastle, United, us, yeah. Villa, Brighton and Spurs. I think Spurs finish eighth. I, I think it's most likely we finish fifth now, I have to agree. But I just look at United and, like, you know, they're probably going to play quite a bit of the season, like you say, with either Maguire or Lindelof and Shaw as the centre-back partnership. They've only won what, two out of the last four games, something like that. They got knocked out of Europe. It suddenly sort of starts to feel like one out of four they've, they've won, obviously, because they beat Brighton on penalties. That was a draw. Mm. So um, it starts to feel like they they've go through these patches again where they pick up a few rubbish results. The thing about United, though, is that they've won the relatively routine matches in routine fashion. Like when they play, let's say, Wolves at home, when they play probably West Ham away, I expect that to be a thoroughly boring, non-eventful 1-0 or 2-1. Right? And they'll win it and there won't be that much drama. Yeah, and their the last five are favourable in fairness. West Ham away, Wolves home, Bournemouth away, Chelsea home, Fulham home. Yeah, the only thing you would, again, maybe hang your hat on is the FA Cup final coming up, players drop off a bit, don't want to get injured, maybe mm. rotate a bit, that kind of thing. So it could be the case, but I think if it is going to be close, they probably have to not win, maybe not any of the next three, to be honest. Maybe you can get away with one and have a bit of hope. Spurs, Villa, Brighton. That's it's, tough. It's quite tough because of situations of those clubs, but actually... Will Brighton be done? You know, they weren't at the best against Forest last night. So will they be done by that point and just think we've had a good season? Are Aston Villa still going to be good away from home under Unai Emery? What's going on there? We'll revisit that another time. (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait for that. And obviously Spurs, you know, it could be 5-0 if if things are that bad. You know, will will Spurs have a goalkeeper? Will Hugo Lloris play 45 minutes? There's lots of questions to be to be going on there. So there is. You, all you can do as Liverpool now is accept the fact you've you've ruined your own season and try to fix it as best as you can. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. We have nobody to blame other than ourselves. Like we we're the ones that have put ourselves in this position. Um, you mentioned the Hugo Lloris thing, and that's that's where we should start on Spurs, Carl. Like. There's a lot of captains in this league that I would raise questions over their leadership. And right at the top of that list is Hugo Lloris, which is crazy to think, considering the guy's a World Cup winning captain. But to refuse to come back out for a second half, I know the manager has changed and maybe Ryan Mason won't take a hard line with him. 
But for me, if I'm Daniel Levy, when I'm appointing Ryan Mason, I'm telling him that lad's never playing again. I don't care what the circumstances were. He's never playing for this club again. So I'll be Guy and jump in there and say, allegedly refusing to play just so that, you know, the entire site doesn't get sued or whatever. True. Alleged, um, allegedly refusing to play. Yeah, yeah, there's there's a there's a fitness test to come ahead of tonight's game and the weekend, and maybe ahead of every single game left before the end of the season to make sure that injury is overcome. <clears throat> um, I mean, Spurs are a very very mentally weak club, mentally weak team. I don't think that they've had any real structure or authority in the dressing room, to be honest, since the moment they appointed Nuno. Um, no. The circus surrounding that managerial appointment process where they went through about, what was it, seven, eight, who were either favourites or spoken to or offered the job or hoped to have the job. And then there was the whole Gattuso incident with the fans. and that. <laughs> Just, Honestly, it was an absolute shambles. And I don't think that they've ever, since that moment, really put themselves on a, a cohesive footing, let alone started to get back to where they wanted to. I know Conte was a big appointment, but I've said several times, I think he was the worst manager in the league this season for what he achieved. Um, I fully, fully agree, by the way, that there's uh, player-led issues as to why he's failed so hard, but he did. There's no question about that. That kind of manager, you expect a certain level of output, and he didn't give it to them even close. So, I, I will just say they were fourth in the league when he was sacked. They were fourth. And they'd been top four most of the season not dropping outside the top five yeah but it was so i don't how is he how was he worse this season than jürgen klopp i think how how could he have been worse jürgen klopp had his team in mid-table with with a better team yeah yeah maybe so but i also think that there are issues there from let's say klopp's decision making before the season or liverpool's inability to sign players before the season versus what Conte brought in in the summer and what he changed in the team and how but, he used those players. Did Conte bring them in? Oh, however way you want to put it. Conte. Because he didn't he, he didn't play half of them at Conte all. was given the players to use. Whether he opted to use them or not is up to him. Klopp obviously had players come in who, who he did use. Neither of them done well. Don't get me wrong. I just think Conte is the one who has done least with what he was given especially if you take into context the fact that Chelsea did fall off and Liverpool did fall off he had to do more he had to do a lot more I think I think he was very very poor I don't think he's oh I think he had a poor season as well but I don't need a VPN I've got nothing to hide (laughs) this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with libertyshield.com not only is my home internet now fully encrypted but I can now access all the websites I want whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super-fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac, and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, Mac boxes, and games consoles. 
Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. They were top four or thereabouts the entire time under him. I think there's been a lot worse managers in the league this season. Graham Potter would be another one. I mean, Graham Potter took 600 million worth of players or, or actually about 900 million worth of players that he had at his disposal and made the team a bottom half team. David Moyes, I think, had a had, had a worse season. Yeah, they're than not Conte. managers who are as good as him to begin with. Yeah, but that's what I expect of Conte. That's what. But I'm look saying. at the players. The who has better players, Chelsea or or Spurs? Clearly, Chelsea. Yeah, of course they do. But I don't think Potter was ever capable of managing those. No, but he shouldn't, have been the, he shouldn't have been in the bottom half. Is the point though? No, he shouldn't. But I still personally think that Conte has underperformed the most relative to what he should be doing. I think. I think that's putting far too much on him. And excusing the players because, like this season, Youngman Son is at the worst season of his career. Mm. Kulusevski can't stay fit. The midfield were fairly average at best. Now, admittedly, it's his own fault for picking him. But Eric Dyer, I mean, that that's one of the worst seasons I've seen a centre back have. And his captain and goalkeeper was throwing in goals left, right, and centre. So, I, I do agree. I think Conte had a rubbish season. I think the decision to sack him was ridiculous, but he was probably asking for it. But I, I think when we look at these players, I mean, other than Harry Kane, is there a Spurs player that you could look at and say, you know what, you've had a good season? Because I mean, even Christian Romero, who we both rate incredibly yeah. highly, I think he's had a rough season. Yeah, he has. And I don't think that's been helped by around him, but he himself has been not good as well, I think. Um, the only other one I would say who I think was good earlier in the season was Benton I think he had a really oh that's a shout that's a shout obviously yeah but then he, his knee blew up on he him so obviously injured as well yeah I mean like <laughs> poor old Christian Romero you come in and you get told you're the first pillar in this new defence we're going to build pay no attention to the two lads next year Eric is just there as a placeholder and two years later there's Eric still there causing chaos for his own team. Um, I will say I, I, I was very amused by the decision uh, to go to Newcastle and play Pedro Porro and um, Ivan Perisic as, as fullbacks mm. in a back four with with Eric Dyer as one of the centre-backs. I thought that Me was one of the... Christian. Would that be one of the braver decisions that's been made this season? Um or what are the dumber decisions that's been made this season? Well, I mean, with hindsight, obviously, we know the answer, don't we? Because it took <laughs> 20 minutes to be given and underlined in permanent ink marker lit up in neon signs on top of a mountain. Um, I mean, Perisic has never, ever, 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 ever been a fullback anyway. He was a no. wing and then a wing back. But, you know, that's stretching its breaking point, isn't it? Um, I think both Dyer and... Romero also benefit from being in a back three more often than not during their careers. So, again, that was a thing. And Pedro Borro, no, not as a fullback. Thank you. Never again. Um, but, I, again, this was not a back four specific problem. Like, Spurs were awful all over the pitch. The midfield was not. Oh, yeah. Saar obviously subbed really early, which, judging by other performances, I thought was actually a little bit harsh. He was swapped, but I don't think he was the worst one in that opening period of the match. I think that was a an easy out for the uh, for the for the then manager to be honest or the then interim manager um 
this team's a mess. They were all over the place. They were a complete, complete mess off the ball. No pressure, no energy, no closing down. And I'm not talking about high pressing here. I'm talking about in their own half. In their own half, yeah. No, there was just, it was so easy for for Newcastle to just walk through them. Yeah, it was so, so bad. It was, you know, big gaps everywhere. Nobody closing down. Didn't really seem to be any communication early on there. You started this whole segment by talking about the lack of leadership from from Hugh Lloris. Mm. Nowhere, nowhere. Nowhere, no. People like Hoiberg, who you'd normally expect that of, he was walking around, he was not making the challenges, there was nobody tracking runners. It was so easy. Normally in a situation like that, after like the second goal goes in, and and the intensity and the the fury of Newcastle just continues, you'd expect someone like Hoiberg just to throw himself into a tackle and maybe do something a little bit nasty, just to sort of dampen what's going on with Newcastle and maybe get his own team a little bit fired up. And there was nothing at all. They just stood around and let Newcastle just literally run all over them. And 5-0 five, five within 21 minutes. There's a, a it's Some guy in, in the UK was listening to the game on the radio, pulled in to get petrol, just, or was going to listen to the game on the radio, I should say, Pulled in to get petrol at kickoff, got out, put petrol in his car, went in, paid for his petrol, bought a couple of other things, went to the bathroom, came out, and it was 5 0. Within one visit to a petrol station, Spurs got absolutely demolished. And it's it's just embarrassing. And when Kane got the goal in the second half, you thought, okay, look, maybe they can put a little bit of respectability here. Maybe they can get this back to, you know, even 5-2, 5-3 maybe at a stretch. Newcastle have their foot taken off the pedal. So maybe Spurs can put a bit of respectability on it and at least give their fans something to cheer and go home, kind of having seen a couple of goals. But no, they got their goal and they just fell over again. Um, going into this game against Liverpool, no Emerson Royale, no Yves Basuma, no Bentoncourt, no Sessegnon. And as things stand, like you mentioned, a late fitness test from Hugo Lloris. But I know that nobody from the management side of Spurs has spoken about Hugo Lloris's alleged injury. The only person who has spoken about it is Hugo Lloris himself. And he said, and I quote, my injury does not sound good. I don't know if it's a muscle, but around the hip when I kicked, it doesn't sound good. That's a very strange thing to say. Your injury doesn't sound good. You're saying that about your own injury. Now, I I get that English isn't his first language and maybe something has gotten lost in translation there, but it's just a very strange statement. And I I genuinely don't believe that he's injured. I don't believe he's injured. I believe he had a temper tantrum at halftime and refused to come back out because he's had a number of temper tantrums with his teammates and with managers in the past. So, um, like I said, if, if I was Ryan Mason, I would just be saying to Hugo, listen, thanks for everything, but a word is from above, you're off this summer, so why don't you go on your summer holidays nice and early? Uh, we don't need you, and you don't need us anymore, so let's move on. Um, those injury problems are problematic. I would say that's their... Their two best 
midfielders in Basuma and Bentoncourt. I think they're the two that I would play if I was picking the, the best Spurs eleven. I think Cessignon's probably the best left wing back they've got at the club. So, you know, along with Lloris, it's four of their starters probably missing. Um, Emerson Royal is probably the third best right wing back they've got under contract. So that won't be too much of a miss. But what are you expecting to see from Spurs? Do you think uh, will Mason have the the foresight to go back to a back three with wing backs? Or will he continue the experiment? I suppose we'll learn more tonight from what he'll do against United. Yeah. I don't really think he has that much choice, to be honest. I think it has to be back to the back three. I don't think that they have the players to do a back four, to be honest. Um, like we said, all of their fullbacks or side defenders are wingbacks, not fullbacks. And I think that most of them have played centrally in the three now for quite some time that they kind of have to just plough ahead and, and do it like that anyway for now. If they want to a reshuffle with who they sign in the summer as manager, well then fair enough, but you also need back four specific defenders then to come in as well. Uh, I think if Longley was fit, probably I would expect him to come back in. I would maybe be looking at Ben Davies playing left back if you absolutely thought you have to stay left back, <clears throat> sorry, back four. But I think it'll be a, a back three for at the very least the Man United game and then we'll see because they maybe get one or two players back like Sessegnon, I think, has got to have a fitness test as well. I've just had a quick look there. Ryan Mason has just spoken about Hugo Lloris and said it's a, he, he may have a thigh injury, so they have to wait and see. So take what you want from that one. Uh, for the game on Thursday, we're still unsure. But basically, I wouldn't be surprised if he misses a couple. I do think he'll play again before the end of the season because you know, he'll get a good buy at home and all that kind of stuff anyway because mm. he's been there so long. Um, but whether you want him in for the very next game or bring him back away from home or whatever, then we'll see. It's only three days between their, their two games. So if he's not yeah. tonight with a thigh, I wouldn't expect him to be fit for Liverpool at the weekend with a thigh, you know? uh, especially with you know, kicking, jumping and all the things that you need thigh muscles for to be perfectly working. So if he's not fit, hopefully he plays. If he's not in a good mental state, hopefully he plays. Hopefully we score 16 past him and he gets subbed at the break again. But, up until that point, I guess we're going to have to worry about the back three first before then. If we put five past them in the first 21 minutes, he might just walk off at that point. He yeah. might just say, fuck it, I'm not waiting until half time. I'm away off home, lads. Um, we will be without Calvin Ramsey and Stefan Besetic. Obviously, they're done for the season. Uh, Nabi Keita and Bobby also set to miss this one. Probably not back till some point in May. Ibu allegedly not injured last night, just rested, which is, is good news. But Joel played well, uh, and Joel scored the winner. So does Joel keep his spot for you going into this game? I wouldn't, personally. And that might be a bit harsh, because he did play well and did score the winner. But I think with, you know, where, where you think where our spares are going to hurt us, where they're going to attack us, it's going to be either a Charleston or... Son or maybe even Dan Juma attacking down one channel. I think Matip will get pulled out to the, the flank a lot more than he did by West Ham last night. Uh, obviously, there's a bit more speed there as well. I think he did well against Antonio, sort of being quite aggressive against him, but Antonio never really quite spanned behind him. I thought Ben Rama had a poor game as well. Didn't really offer himself. Did you? Yeah, yeah, I did. I, th oh, I, I thought he had time... a decent game. No, I think the only times he really got in behind, and he did do it quite a few times, he was so, so dithering on the ball with what to do. He never really committed Matip. He never really 
took the early option to to cross or shoot straight away. He lost the ball in good areas quite a lot, I thought. Um, so I think that Matip would be tested quite a lot more by Richarlison or or Son than he was against West Ham in the wide areas, especially. So I personally would put Kanate back in, and especially looking forward to to next season and trying to build this system with people who are going to be in it more often. I mean, I was surprised last night that Gomez didn't start once Kanate wasn't the same. You know, obviously that's that's Matip is back to ahead of Joe, uh, to Gomez in the lineup. So I, I suppose Matip has primarily been the backup right side centre back this season, or well, he was the starting right side centre back, and Joe's games have mostly come when Virgil hasn't been there. Um, I know he did play a couple when both Ibu and Joel were out. He played next to Virgil, but he has primarily been kind of the, the backup left centre-back and maybe that's just what they were sticking with, that, that Joel was the designated one to come in. I, I'm like you, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't keep him in. I'd, I'd, I'd roll back to uh, to Ibu and it's, it's not just how those wide forwards attack, it's the likelihood of them playing wing-backs and getting those wing-backs forward because last night I don't think Aaron Cresswell crossed the halfway line at any point. So it was always just one at a time that Joel had to deal with. Whereas Spurs will throw multiple people. You'd imagine if they're playing with wingbacks, they'll have two raiding down both sides. And that is much tougher to deal with. And I'd, I'd rather have Ibu with his pace and his power there than Joel. Um, should we expect any other changes? Because there are two that should be made and they're the changes which were made before the hour mark. Yes, Thiago should start instead of Henderson and Diaz should start instead of Jota. I, I do agree with those. Whether Jürgen does or not, I don't know. But I thought Jota was poor last night. And in truth, I, I thought he was pretty poor against Leeds. And it got overlooked because he scored two and got an assist. I didn't think he played all that well against Forrest either. But again, he got two goals. So he was voted man of the match. But I didn't think he actually played all that well. And last night when he didn't score, didn't really offer anything. No, I, I think Jota's in the same position he was before the goals happened. He can't move at the minute. There's no acceleration in his in his running. There's no burst to get past players down mm. the touchline. His movement is okay. Like like I said, he got into the four positions quite well. And when he scored, he should have scored last night. He should have scored. He headed wide from about three yards out. But it's 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 a good thing that he's back in sort of scoring form. Let's just underline that that's absolutely fine and you need even players who are not that good technically if they can get themselves into good positions and all the rest of it you make the most of that that's what part of the game is but he's not playing well he's nowhere near physically at his level I think there's a really hard pre-season ahead for him to get back to sort of the, the he was never the fastest but he was quick like quite quick and quite good acceleration but last night like even if a pass is two yards behind him. It looks a real effort for him to turn, change direction, start running quickly after a stop, all that kind of stuff. So there's much more to be done for him in terms of his, his physical approach. Make the most of him being, you know, fox in the box, good movement, pulling off defenders, all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. But at this point, Diaz physically looks really, really good. Diaz, yeah. in terms of his technical stuff, not not quite yet. You, know, you see him a couple of times last night, same as... Um, uh, coming off the bench in the last couple of games where he's tried to take them on. It hasn't quite happened for him in the way it would do before, but he looks like explosive. And I think that now it's just about 
footballing basically do to mm. get him on the ball as much as possible in training and all the rest of it so i think he's ready for a start and thiago i've been saying it for three podcasts now he should be in the side yeah, the only thing should. i would say the only thing i would say is that thiago when he comes on to play on that right hand side role on the ball perfect off the ball he doesn't fill in the right back zone some of the time in the way that henderson should do or does do and then doesn't do anything defensively but he does get back into that position you think of like the first half when uh, i think it was ben rama got the ball again why and, 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 and henderson ran away from him in our box yeah i mean <laughs> i don't know what he was doing he sort of let him go on the inside which is where he's always it, going to go. i think he got distracted by it was a Declan rice that overlapped and he just thought, oh, I'll just go with him. Shamatip's nearly back. <laughs> I'll, I'll leave Ben Rama. I'll just go for a run with Declan here. But Thiago does not fill that area. No. I, I think if Thiago's going to start, I'd rather see Jones play the right-sided role and play Thiago on the left. Yeah, maybe. Because then you've got Fab and Thiago and Robbo down that side. It's a little stronger defensively. And then you've got Jones... Trent and Ibu on the right, and I think between the three of them they'll get the job done. Um, and I think like if Curtis got into some of the positions Henderson got into last night, I think he'd just deliver a far better ball. Um, Henderson put in two decent crosses. One was a good cross to Curtis, who seemed to get bumped by Bowen just as he was about to head the ball. Uh, and there was another decent cross. It might have just been slightly behind somebody, but I do remember him getting into two decent positions and, and putting in two decent crosses. But outside of that, he just didn't do anything. He had three defensive actions in the game. One of them, he lost Paqueta somehow. Lucas Paqueta is not quick, and he couldn't keep up with him, and Paqueta scored. The second one, Ben Rama almost created a goal because Henderson ran away from him. And the third one was the, the comedy incident with um, Mikel Antonio on the on the touchline, where I think he realised quite quickly, I can't keep up with him. Tried to run across Antonio's path, and Antonio just bundled him out of the way, and Henderson decided to stop and throw his arms up and have a, have a moan, rather than actually doing his job. So I, it's all well and good getting into certain defensive positions, but you know it's what you do when you're there that matters as well. But like you said, Thiago... Thiago doesn't have the legs to get back into those positions. So I think if he is going to start, the left-sided role will suit him more because at least he's got Fabinho behind him. Do you think he will? No, I think he'll start Henderson again. Because, you know, Teflon captain couldn't possibly be dropped. Um, another, another 4 out of 10 performance last night. But, um, you know, Ian Doyle gave him... Ian Doyle gave him a 6... And gave Fabinho a five, which I just I, I really don't understand because like whatever about Henderson's performance, I don't know how you could watch that game last night and not think Fab was pretty good. I thought he was perfectly fine. Lots of toes in, lots of winning back the ball, short, economical in possession. Don't think he did too much wrong. And all while walking the disciplinary tightrope, because if he picked up a yellow, he'd have missed two games. Now, am I right in saying those yellow cards are now wiped and he's back to a fresh slate? Have we played 32? Yes. Then yes, I think so. Outstanding. So Fab can be a little bit more forceful against the Spurs midfielders, which he'll probably need to be as well, because, 
you know, the likes of Skip and Heisberg, they're they're physical players and they will put it up to you regardless of what else is going on around them. Well, you'd expect them to. They didn't obviously last weekend against Manchester United. Um, So... I know, Fabinho's on nine, so if he gets ten, he misses two anyway. Regardless? Yeah, yeah, I thought that he was coming up for his fifth and that would have been the suspension after 32, but no, if he's on to ten, that that doesn't matter what he is. Oh, oh, well, that sucks. Yeah, Yeah. right, well, that's not great. He picked up seven yellow cards, I think, in the ten games prior to last night. Um, So, yeah, we're going to have to hope he can avoid a yellow card which is unlikely i think at some point he's going to get a yellow card which will mean two games missed uh, and that then will raise the question of who plays in that role we don't have we don't actually have an option in the squad i've seen a few people suggest tiago maybe against a really bad team you could go tiago and trent as a double pivot i don't like the idea of it but we'll see what happens um i'm with you i think diaz should definitely start i thought he looked really sharp when he came on last night and he looks like he's trying to make something happen every time he gets the ball. Uh, just a quick word on Darwin, Carl, who back-to-back games now has come off the bench and had fairly poor cameos. And he's coming in for the usual criticism that he seems to face. But uh, for me, I don't have any worries about him because I've watched him enough for us and for Benfica and before that for Almeria to know that there's a, a proper number nine there. And at Benfica, he had a, a rough first season and he was outstanding in the second season. Some people have said, oh, well, you know, Cody's adapted a lot quicker. Why can't Darwin? Well, Cody has two major advantages. One, he speaks fluent English, which Darwin does not. And number two, Cody played under Roger Schmidt, whose pressing system is built off Jurgen Klopp's pressing system. So Cody was already familiar with the requirements and demands of said pressing system. Um, Darwin didn't have that. So I don't know. I, I don't have any concerns about him, but do you? No, I think that this shift that we've had now, it's reset. He doesn't have to worry about it. We played 32. There you go. Fabinho, no problem. We're, we're good again. Just seen another one that reset. Uh, change the rule for this year so there you go um i don't have concerns over darwin but i do think that he is not the forward that we'd be looking for on either left or central in this shape as we're doing it at the minute because he has to basically relearn where he goes off the ball because if we're playing 4-3-3 and he's left wing that's that's pretty routine but where jones is now and where jota is now that's not the same kind of role that he was playing earlier on but for a lot of open play last night when Liverpool have the ball in the West Ham half, Jones is left wing. Jota goes through the middle, and you think that that's kind of fine. And But after we lose the ball, after transition play, Jota drops centrally. Darwin never drops centrally. He never, ever, ever does. You watch no. him. When he's playing centre-forward, he plays centre-forward. And when he's playing left wing, when he tracks, he's left back. He's really good at that. But this is a completely different way of Liverpool's players transitioning to defensive now, off the ball. And obviously, he needs to relearn that if that's how we're going to play i think it would probably be easier for him doing it presumably from the central role rather than the left hand role but yeah. like you say Gakpo a lot of the time is coming short he's dropping into the gaps to leave the, the diagonal run for jota 
Oh, and again, that's not something that Darwin is, is proficient that's at. That's not what his game has been. I think if, if Darwin's going to play in this system, it would be as the nine, but it would not be... As a uh, false six, nine. Yeah, it wouldn't be quite as much like rotation of positions. It would almost be like the 3-2-4-1, let's say, where those, mm. those attacking midfielders are basically all in a supporting line or so, them joining him. I was thinking about this last night. If we were to shift the base formation ever so slightly from a 4-3-3 to a 4-2-3-1, where Cody is the 10 or even the more advanced of the 8s, whatever way you want to look at it, and Darwin is the 9 and Mo and Diaz are in the wide roles. Because the thing is, well, if Diaz is playing the left wing role, he's going to play it differently to what Jota has played it. So that will alter things a little bit as well. But if it was a 4-2-3-1, we could still move Trent into midfield and go to a three at the back, as as we have been doing, a three in front of them of Trent plus two midfielders. Then you'd have Salah, Gakpo and Diaz, and then Darwin as a nine, which the alteration there is you're taking out Henderson because let's say it's Fabinho and Jones, because they're in the team at the moment. You're taking out Henderson and replacing him with Darwin. Darwin is taking Cody's role. Gakpo is taking Henderson's role, but playing it more centrally. I do think they can adjust it, and and I I, I think they will adjust it over time. But... I, I think there's a role for him in this team as a starter. And... I really want to see what it looks like with Darwin as a nine and Cody behind him. I just, I want to see that for a couple of games because I think Gakpo could, could really thrive with a focal point nine like Darwin. And then if you've got Mo and Diaz providing the width and Mo, especially getting as centrally as possible when we're attacking, I, I do think there's ways and means that we can, through positional rotation of Mo coming central and Cody going right and using his crossing ability, I do think we can unlock some new things with this this iteration of the team. Yeah, I mean, obviously we've got to consider who might come in in the summer or if any of the, the younger players that we saw earlier in the season play a bit of a role in some games, especially if we're in certain European competitions next season, then there's lots of ways to use the flexibility of those wide forward areas in particular. Um it brings its own trouble again in the recruitment in terms of who is Trent's alternative because, you know, we've spoken before about Liverpool in the 4-3-3 relying so much on Thiago and him playing a certain way and mm. when he's not there, we struggle in the build-up play. Well, fashion on that for next season, if we're relying <laughs> on Trent for the build-up play, we don't have anybody else who's remotely close to be able to do that positionally, let alone from a technical perspective. So it does become... I, I, I don't want it to be reliant on one thing. That's really, really important. Like, to begin with, when we had both fullbacks really, really high, teams started to nullify that. We looked a bit stodgy for a while. The front three then would combine really well. Then they started to do that. It's always going to be the case where you have to add things and and find some other ways to get around it. But this is a very, very specific way of playing. And we can't either just rely on, on Trent for the distribution, the build-up play, or else forget how to, to play with Trent, but in a slightly different way. Like, if he's getting man-marked, like last night, Paqueta was on him very, very early. But for the first mm. five, ten minutes or so, Paqueta was on Trent every single time Liverpool had possession. And we couldn't really necessarily find him. It was always either 
Virgil or Fabinho, who is free. And that's absolutely fine because those players can play through lines easily and, and did so last night, no problem. But as a team, Liverpool need more than one really reliable way to play build-up football. Agreed. Agreed. And it's it's one of the reasons I would like to see us add another creative player into the team. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll have to see what happens. Right. Give me a prediction then for Liverpool versus Spurs and we'll get ourselves out of here for today. I'm tempted to go big. <laughs> I know there's going to be a few unhappy faces out there and certainly one of them shouting at me on Twitter if I do. Uh, I think we're going to spank Spurs are awful 4-1 I'm going to go for a nice conservative 2-0 win you're just doing that to spite me nice conservative 2-0 win I will, take it. I will absolutely take it no, I'll, I'll take any win I'll take any win from now to the end of the season I, I don't care I don't care how ugly the football is at times but I will take every win we can get I'll, I'll go 2-0 Carl's got 4-1 Lisa Marie, you heard him there. Um, so get the get the ban book ready because he might need another one. Um, right, anything you need to plug before we go? Let piece on Curtis Jones and set pieces from last night. There you go. So check that out on the Independent. Follow Carl on Twitter at Carl Matchett. Don't follow Guy because he's in Mexico and he's not to be bothered. And there's a whole WhatsApp group dedicated to not bothering Guy. And uh, we will see you next time. Bye bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.